Welcome to the Cyber 24 Podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. My name is Marty Carpenter of 24.9, and I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. This week, we are discussing the massive data breach at T-Mobile, and here's what we know. Last week, T-Mobile was hacked. 54 million users had information compromised. Only about 7.8 million of those are current postpaid customers. The other 46 million and change are prospective customers or former customers who had applied for plans, had their credit checked, something along those lines. Now, what we also know is this was not a ransomware attack. Very different because ransomware is very in vogue right now. Uh, T-Mobile hackers did not lock up systems and they did not demand payment. They just took the data and they are selling it on the black market for somewhere around $270,000, according to reports. Now, the Wall Street Journal uh, points out that records on postpaid customers and prospective customers include first and last names, dates of birth, social security numbers, and driver's license information. They do not include passwords or PIN codes, so that is good information. Uh, we're going to break this all down with our guest expert this week, Mike Hussey of the Utah Division of Technology Services. He's the former CIO for the state of Utah. We'll get his insight on the hack and steps that you should take to make sure your business isn't as vulnerable as T-Mobile was. Here's our conversation with Mike Hussey. All right, Mike Hussey, back in on the podcast with us. Mike, thanks for taking some time and being a friend of the pod, as always. Hey, thanks for having me, Marty. I always always love being on the pod and uh, enjoy the, the the many benefits that come to me as being on the pod. Yeah, and thank goodness that when I uh, called you to see if you'd join us on the show, uh, that you have uh, a phone that's not run by T-Mobile, because then you would have been hacked. <laughs> that's the big thing going on in cybersecurity oh. over the last week or so is this T-Mobile hack, and we kind of did a little info off the top of the show to make sure people understand the scope of it. But you know, in essence, Mike, fifty-four million people have had their data breached in this. T-Mobile hack. Uh, at last count, T-Mobile had like 102 million users in the country. Uh, interestingly, not all 54 million of those people who had their data compromised in this hack uh, are with T-Mobile, uh, which brings us to some interesting questions. So let's start first with the hack. We know very little about it, so I'm wondering what you can tell me about it, um, uh, how someone may have gone about this, what the vulnerability was, or if not, why don't we know anything about this? Because we usually know at least something about a hack by this point. You know, you know that's that's interesting. Uh, you're right. I haven't heard a lot about how the hackers got a foothold there. Um, it was really it's it, maybe it's being tight lipped. Maybe T-Mobile doesn't know yet. But uh, we're I think they're pr probably still going through all the forensic data trying to understand themselves what happened. Uh, the, really, the indicator was, hey, this data is for sale. And if you want to buy it, it's all this T-Mobile data. And I, I think my su supposition is, is that's when T-Mobile really was on alert that their data was out there. So I don't know that they know everything yet, um, but they, the, s there's some indicators, I think, as to what what data was in there? You, they, you talk about the the date of birth, uh, the social security numbers, the address, those kinds of things that were in there, and so I think that gives you a little bit of an understanding of what their uh, their foothold was, but you really don't know exactly how they got in, uh, what the exposure was, uh, you know, if it was a phishing thing or uh, if they uh, you know didn't patch a system. Uh, really, we don't know yet, and so that's that's going to be really interesting when we learn about what comes out and, and, 
how it happened. You know, interestingly, you know, they just merged with Sprint. Sometimes when you're merging multiple systems together, you get these uh, vulnerabilities that you're unaware of. And I think that may have led to uh, a challenge for them. I, I, I honestly don't know, but I, I've seen it myself where you merge all these large systems together and uh, you, you miss something. And yeah. uh, that may have been the case here. I, I, I really don't know, but I'm sure we'll be hearing in the very near future. Yeah. It's an interesting note there, though, because just as it would be possible uh, for hackers to have sort of breached the security defenses of T-Mobile, they may have actually and, and be undetected. They may have done the same thing with Sprint. And then when you merge them, suddenly they have access to a whole lot uh, larger of a database. So you have no idea in there. But the, it also brings up the point when you say we don't really know yet. And if I heard you right there, Mike, you're saying that T-Mobile may not have known until the data was actually out there for sale. So that that shows this is a little bit different of a breach anyway, where uh, the, the perpetrators, the hackers may have taking the data and rather than spiking the football and saying we got it they just took it took it out and started selling it and we're going to set up residence there uh you know going forward because there was no reason to sort of give up your disguise at that point is, is that what did i hear you right is that is that a possibility uh, very very likely uh and oftentimes these these uh these bad actors do such a good job of staying covert especially when they have a foothold they're trying to say, hey, we're not going to play our hand yet until we can very carefully see what we have access to, uh, what data we might be able to exfiltrate from these systems, and then start to get a, a better understanding of what value they have. And if they're done, that's when they start selling the data. So they could have had a foothold for months. Uh, who knows? Uh, it's just it, as long as they can stay covert and uh, keep their hide their tracks, uh, they might have been there a little while. And and again, once they're once the data is being sold, of course, T-Mobile's on notice. Yeah, it also might just be a matter of ransomware has been so. Uh so commonplace over the last couple of years that we're accustomed to to businesses finding out right away that they have a problem because they've been hit with ransomware and that that comes with someone asking you for money to get your systems back open and in this case from what we're hearing it's not a ransomware attack there was no right. threat to lock up systems um does that surprise you at all that someone could have that kind of access to the system and not uh, have sort of locked it down? Or is it maybe an indication of what we were just talking about? They could come in, they could get the data, they could get it out, and they wanted to stay in there. So ransomware was not the way to go. And, and yeah, and that may kind of let us know what T-Mobile was dealing with, because they did not have, maybe they did not have the ability to to lock up the systems that would then uh, provide a ransom to these these bad actors. And so maybe they just, their only option was exfiltrate the data. And, you know, we're so used to talking about ransomware attacks and these one-two punches that, you know, you you lock up the system and then you sell the data or you, you leverage the data as a way to pay the ransom. If you can't get that foothold that you need to, to uh, lock up the systems with ransomware, then, hey, you just go with what you got. And I'm sure that's what these guys did is just say, hey, we've got this data. We can't figure out any other way to lock up the system to demand a ransom. So we're just going to sell this. For, we're going to make $270,000, and uh, we're going to call it good. So I think that's probably what, the, what they add. And, and it, it just basically told us that's the foothold that these bad actors had, and that's what what they could get. So yeah. I think that really tells a little bit about what T-Mobile was dealing with. 
I mentioned briefly that of the 54 million people who had their data compromised, not all 54 million are T-Mobile customers, which I found really interesting. And what that leads us to understand is that T-Mobile was collecting data on people who were applying for uh, credit or having their credit checked so they could get uh, an account with T-Mobile who may or may not still be with T-Mobile, may never have actually signed up for a service plan with T-Mobile, just went so far as to have credit checked. Maybe they they were denied because their credit wasn't sufficient to, to finalize the purchase. Uh, but either way, uh, T-Mobile then evidently made the decision to hang on to that data. And I, I just wonder, you know, this is a real threat that businesses face in an era when they're being held accountable for the data they collect and hold on to, uh, you know, if they don't adequately protect it. So I, I'm wondering, are we pushing toward a tipping point for businesses where they just understand better the risk of holding on to that data. And if it's not something that they absolutely have to have, do they take it? Does it ever tip from being an asset to being a liability for them to have that kind of data? Well, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, I'll, I'll, you can tell by what the data that was for sale, like we, we were talking about, you know, name, social security number, driver's license, date of birth, uh, address, those kind of data elements that were for sale by the hackers certainly leads you to believe that these are people that probably applied for credit or or uh, at least did a, a credit uh, uh, report on those potential customers, and then they did hang on to the data. Interestingly, um, the state, uh, we had uh, some uh, an issue with some Medicaid data, and oftentimes the, the health provider was just wondering if this person qualified for Medicare, and in fact, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't, and that data was still in there that, um, you know, that we had a challenge with. And so, yeah, it, it is kind of back in the day, it was kind of a, just what you did. You had, you know, hey, these people applied for credit. They didn't get credit. They're not a customer, but we hung, hung on to the, to the data. And so maybe this really is a, a, a shot over the bow to say, hey, you know, maybe we should start scaling back and only have the data we need and start not worrying about, hey, do we really need uh, Marty Carpenter's uh, mother's maiden name or do we really need Marty Carpenter's first pet's name? You know, those are the kinds of things that um, we really have got to start evaluating what you need and what you don't need. And, and, now that companies are starting to see the the challenges that become uh, that come up with hand, handling, hanging onto that data, do we really need it? And I think that's really the the shot out of the, over the bow that I'm talking about. And hey, it's just a, a good time to reassess the data, why you're collecting it. Sometimes it's marketing data. So if there if there's people that have applied for credit, they didn't get it with T-Mobile, but then another promotion cycles around, and maybe they have a, a a marketing opportunity for some of those folks. I don't know the business need, but I could see opportunities for T-Mobile wanting to hang on to that. But again, then then you weigh the pros and cons of having that, that data there. Yeah. You would think uh, maybe on the side of caution, keep the name, keep the email address, keep a phone contact, lose the social security number because that's something that you may not want to be responsible uh, for getting rid of. Time to take a break. But first, a reminder that Cyber24 is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from the desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast and our conversation with Mike Hussey, presented by Valcom, right after this. If you're looking for protection from uncontrolled access, Salto can deliver the perfect solution. 
tailored to your exact requirements to provide you with all the security, convenience, and control you need. With Salto, you install access control in a wire-free environment, so there's no need to hardwire the building. Because Salto works on a virtual network, you can enroll or replace a lost key within seconds, making reprogramming and rekeying a problem of the past. See how Salto can make your access control and building security simpler and safer at vlcmtech.com salto. That's vlcmtech.com slash s-a-l-t-o. You've all seen the headlines. Every 39 seconds, there's a new attempted cyber attack in the U.S. As the threat landscape becomes more complex, the need for security operations is greater than ever before. It's time to put experts in your corner. For something as important as your organization's security, having a named engineer and analyst paired with you is critical. Arctic Wolf is a leader in security operations, utilizing a cloud-native security analytics platform to deliver security operations as a concierge service. Arctic Wolf's Security Operations Center as a service is always on guard with security experts monitoring your environment 24-7. Don't become the next headline. Learn more about Arctic Wolf's redefined cybersecurity approach at vlcmtech.com slash arctic-wolf. That's vlcmtech.com slash A-R-C-T-I-C dash W-O-L-F. Welcome back to the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. We continue our discussion now with Mike Hussey from the Utah Division of Technology Services. You know, there's this old adage that says uh, w- when you ask a bank robber, why do you rob banks? And the bank robber would respond, because that's where the money is. Um, and I think there's something to this and, and a trend being identified that hackers are going after the places where the data is. And T-Mobile has a lot of data and you know they may have more data in some perspective. They may have more data than they actually need to have. But either way, if you're uh, a cyber criminal, you look at that and say, hey, if we get into T-Mobile, we suddenly have 54 million records and we can go make X amount of money off of it. So, you know, let, maybe talk me through the the risk assessment that comes there with uh, hoarding data and hoarding irrelevant data. Uh, you know, we, we just talked before the break that a lot of people, uh, you know, will collect it and hang on to it for marketing reasons. But uh, boy, there's you you make yourself a target when you hold on to more of that. It's not just we're a big company, but when they can see that you're holding, collecting and holding on to a lot of data, that makes you a bigger target. And that has to factor in somehow to the consideration for what your practice is. No, I, I love your analogy that, that data is the new oil and it, and you sometimes can have an oil spill. I mean, we all, we know that conjures up some, some very visual, uh, scary images for us. And so that's why I think, you know, as we were talking about it a minute ago that, Hey, these, these, uh, the warning shots over the bow, Hey, do we really need that data or that irrelevant data? Do we, do we want to hang on to that? And I think that's really starting to get into the, the questions that businesses need to ask themselves. Is there value for us? And, uh, they're, they're, I think more and more, uh, you know, from a state's perspective, we're seeing the correlation of, of systems. You know, uh, uh, hey, I, I'm a boat owner. Maybe I want my fishing license as well. So from a state's perspective, you sometimes try and suggest um, opportunities to make the citizen's life easier. Uh, that's sometimes a, a tricky 
tricky uh, tightrope to walk because the, you want to make citizens' lives easier, but at the same time, you don't want to cross a line that exposes unnecessarily um, data that, that the citizens have, and they've had those entrusted with the state. Same thing with all these businesses. Hey, yeah, there's a lot of data there. There's a lot of opportunity to market and monetize that data, um, but do you do you run the risk of having that that oil spill? And that's that's I think where the, the, the businesses need to take a step back and say, hey, look, what, it, what point do I have? Do I, does my risk, risk exceed the value that I might get out of that data? Yeah. The first half of 2021, there were an estimated 1,700, give or take, uh, publicly reported data breaches, which is an amazing number in and of itself. But in those 1,700 data breaches, more than 18 billion pieces of information have been exposed, which, yeah, I guess you, you can get to that number pretty quickly if you say 54 million people in T-Mobile alone, and each one of those maybe had between, uh, say, three and seven data points there, you know, 54 million times seven gets you on a nice jump start just with one breach. Um, but those numbers, I think, are staggering. And I, I just, it feels like the public has maybe gotten into the into the groove of, I give my data out and my data is going to get exposed. And for those people who care, we'll just have really good passwords and we'll, you know, watch the news and change their passwords. But, um, I mean, those numbers are, should be enough to make people, uh, you know, give people pause when it comes to actually going out and giving out their data, but it's just sort of something you have to do. So we're all kind of stuck, I suppose. Yeah, stuck's a strong term. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, we, we're, I hate to say that we are getting callous to this. You know, it is occurring often. I, you know, 1700 the first half of this year, that's, that's just crazy. Um, but it, it's a reality. And I think more and more there's going to be changes that occur to protect the citizen. Um, I, I even noticed on my iPhone, and you may be talked about this on the podcast, um, my, my iPhone, when it uses Face ID to unlock applications and things like that, now warns me and says, hey, I've noticed you use this password between this location and this location. They're the same. Uh, do you want to change one of them? And so they're starting to become uh, uh, an awareness and some assistance for some of those maybe lay users that probably are a little more casual about the security around their data. And so I think that the, um, you know, Apple and others will start to, to help augment and fill in some of those voids for some of those users. Hey, I don't want to remember another password. I'm just going to have one password for everything. Of course, the pods recommends you don't, but, um, but just to say, Hey, you might want to consider using a strong password just, you know, that it, it, they recommend these crazy passwords and just let your face unlock it. I think there will be uh, new ways to secure that data and hopefully we don't get calloused and, and to the point where we're just like, oh, another breach and, and not worry about it. But I think we do need to, to, to really take advantage of the tools that are available. Uh, I, I know that T-Mobile is going to provide credit monitoring for a couple of years for some of the folks that were included in that data breach. Um, and, and that's good, but I think there's going to be other things coming into the market that will help us uh, help the lay citizens uh, protect our, our passwords, protect our data, and do a better job of that. Yeah, there are really only three points of responsibility that are somewhat within, you know, on the good guy side anyway, right? The businesses can protect your data better or collect less of it or delete what they don't need, that kind of thing. Uh, individuals can protect it better by having stronger passwords and just overall better cyber hygiene and making sure I don't reuse the passwords over five or six or 25 or a hundred different websites, all of those things. The third uh, leg on that stool is 
is government. And, you know, there really aren't, from what I understand, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's not a whole lot of regulation in place at the, at this point to limit the, information that companies can gather on you. Uh, there have been some attempts at this, you know, California has, has the California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA. Um, Europe has been sort of out there in front of, uh, of the issue a little more than, than in the U.S. I, I don't think we've had really anything in Utah that's discussed uh, that, though there have been some, um, some bills on this. I'm just wondering, you know, we're, we're, we live in a pretty low regulation state and sort of the government tries to stay, uh, you know, off your back out of your wallet kind of a thing. But, you know, where this is a matter of consumer protection, I just wonder if there will ever come a time when Utah may be a little more likely to um, have some regulations in place or, or am I off base and those are in place right now? Uh, th th there's no, no other states have done what California has done with the CCPA. Um, I think that many states are eyeing what California has done on that front. And I think they're looking internally to say, hey, do we want to do something like the CCPA and um, take that on in the state? One of the things that Utah has done recently is uh, we hired a chief privacy officer. That was in statute. And there's going to be two. There's one, one that's going to be on the executive side, uh, well, in, in the governor's, reporting up to the governor's office. And then the other one will be up in the, in the auditor's office. Again, looking out for the consumer, saying, hey, is the state handling the data properly? Are we handling the data we need to handle? Um, there may be a, a come a day where they, you, when, you know, diff two different state agencies are trying to share data to make the, the experience uh, a little easier on the citizen. And we might just have to ask the citizen, hey, is it okay that this agency, agency A, shares that data with agency B? And again, to just make it easier on you. Or, hey, you can keep them separate and it's up to you. I don't know the direction they'll go, but I think that there is a lot of focus on this now. And uh, you're right, with what's going on in Europe and now California, I think that more and more people are starting to, to take privacy serious and uh, that data that's there. Um, what, what I think you'll see, too, under the CCPA, you can, uh, it doesn't say what you can save, uh, can and can't save or ask the citizen for, but it does say that the citizen has the right to remove their data from your system. And so if you're collecting cookies and other things like that, you'll always see those, those things that pop up on browsers that say, hey, we are now collecting data on you. That was a lot of what the, you know, the CCPA-esque stuff does or, or the things from Europe that are helping, um, helping its citizens to kind of say, hey, your privacy is important. Um, even, even to the point where, I, I don't know if you remember, where you have a, a, a really a bad guy that did some bad things and they have that guy's cell phone and they took, you know, the, the, the authorities took that phone to Apple and said, hey, we need some help in locking this phone. We think there's some really good data that might help us break this case. And Apple wouldn't do that. They said, no, privacy is going to trump everything here. And so anyway, it's, it's really interesting that privacy is now coming to the forefront and, and really making um, some headlines. And I think you'll see more and more states, more and more businesses take privacy seriously. All right. Our thanks to Mike Hussey for his great insight and being a guest and a friend to the pod. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. So whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Also want to pass along special thanks 
to our supporting partners at the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah, our friends at Secumont, plus the Utah Attorney General's Office and the Utah Department of Public Safety. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hey, hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like to discuss, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star reviews. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week and stay safe online.